Proverbs 20, 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Romans chapter 8 says, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, we've talked a lot about um, the spirit of man. We, um, uh, we looked at the, the fact that the Bible says that man is three parts. He is a spirit. He's made in the image of God. Therefore, he is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. We located the spirit. We talked about developing the spirit. We talked about the four steps to spiritual development. Meditate in the word. Be a doer of the word. Give the word first place. And then instantly obey the voice of your spirit. We talked about how the Holy Ghost leads us in a number of ways and, and, uh, uh, and, and different aspects about Holy Ghost guidance. Today I want to talk to you about where the Holy Ghost is going to lead you. Turn with me over to John chapter 16, if you will. We've looked at this before. But we're going to look at it from a little different angle this morning. John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. He said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Notice the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. That means, not the, that means he can't be the spirit of a lie. That means he can't be the spirit of mistake. In other words, God never misses it. And when you get something by the spirit of the Lord, you don't have to amend it. You know, it's an amazing thing to me how so many people have to rewrite their books. Because over time, what they got from the Lord didn't turn out to be the way that it is. Well, when you get something from God, it doesn't have to be changed. Because it's accurate. It's correct. So Jesus said, called the Holy Ghost the Spirit of truth. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, we also looked at John 17, verse 17, where in Jesus' prayer to the Father, he said, uh, talking about his disciples, he said, sanctify them, you and me, through thy word, thy word is truth. Well, Jesus is not going to talk about the truth in John 16 as being something different than he speaks about the truth being in John 17, is he? Jesus is speaking of the truth in both places. So he identifies, in other words, the word of God, Jesus himself identifies the truth or that which is truth as the word of God. So, John 16, 13, howbeit when he, the spirit of the tr- spirit of truth or the spirit of the word, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He'll guide you into the word. Now, what part of the word is he going to lead you in? Well, I think generally we could say he's going to lead you into all the blessings that belong to us as uh, New Testament or New Covenant believers in Christ. He will lead you into the truth or the reality of those things that belong to us because of Jesus' sacrifice. He'll lead you into the reality of the, of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He'll lead you into the reality of healing. He'll lead you into the reality of prosperity. He'll lead you into the reality that you are been, you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He'll lead you into all of those things. But so often we look at the blessings and the things that belong to us. Thank God there are a lot of wonderful things that belong to us. And we fail to recognize the basis for everything that we have under the new covenant. Look in John 13. John 13. Verses 34 and 35, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he said, A new commandment I give unto you. Now, what does he mean by a new commandment? They knew what the old commandments were. The old commandments were basically the Ten Commandments or all the law. There were 630 commandments, actually, under the uh, Old Covenant, or 630 laws that uh, Israel was commanded to keep. And they're summarized in what we know of as the Ten Commandments. So when Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, he's saying, I've got something that's going to take the place of the old, isn't he? Isn't that what something new does? Doesn't it take the place of the old? If you get a new car, you don't keep the old car. Trade the old car in for the new car. 
New things replace old things. So he says, a new commandment I give unto you. Here's a new commandment that's going to take the place of all 630 Old Testament laws that are summarized in the Ten Commandments. A new commandment I give unto you. Well, what is it, Jesus? That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. I'm so glad Jesus identified or defined what love is. Jesus says, love can be seen by the way that I treat you. Because a lot of people's definition of love doesn't match up with what Jesus treated, the way Jesus treats us. You don't get to make your own definition of love. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Notice verse 35. He said, by this, this new commandment. In other words, the law of love put in action. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one toward another. Isn't it interesting that he didn't say that by your great power in my name, everybody will know that I'm in you. Isn't it interesting that he didn't say by the leading of the Holy Ghost that will cause you to walk in victory, will people know that I'm in you and that you're my disciple? He didn't talk about the power of God. He didn't talk about gifts of the Spirit. He didn't talk about any of the spectacular things that we like to focus on. He didn't even say by the fact that you lay hands on the sick and the sick are healed. Will people know you're my disciples? He said that it's the law of love that will cause people to know that he lives in us. Isn't it amazing how people focus on everything else except love? And we charismatics are the worst. Because we got the power. So what do we talk about? We talk about the power. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writing to a church that had the power. I want you to notice what he said to them. He starts off in the letter talking to them how that they come behind in no good gift. In other words, they've got it all working. Well, folks, isn't that what churches want? Don't churches want it to all be working? They've got all the manifestations of the Spirit in operation. They're known for their power. They're known for the the work of the Holy Ghost among them. Everybody knows about this church. Everybody comes to see the show. But but Paul said, inspired by the Holy Ghost, notice in... uh, Verse 31, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. He said, covet earnestly the best gifts. Now, a lot of times people will look at that and they'll try to pick out, pick and choose the the gift that they like the best, the thing that they prefer. Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. In other words, everything he's talked about in chapter 12, he talked about manifestations of the Spirit. He talked about how the body of Christ works together, how we all work together as one body. He talked about ministry gifts. He talked about miracles, gifts of healings, and so forth. He said, now covet there and see the best gifts. All these things of the Holy Ghost, all this display of power of the Holy Ghost is a wonderful, wonderful thing, but there's something better. I would submit to you folks that most churches would stop where the Corinthians are and say, we've got it all. Yet Paul said there's something better. What does he talk about? Chapter 13 is about love. He tells the characteristics of love. So what's the more excellent way? Love. In other words, he's saying, all your power means nothing if you're not following the new commandment of love. Where do you think the Holy Ghost is going to lead you first then? In the power or in the love of God? If the Holy Ghost is inspiring Paul to say that love is the more excellent way, more excellent than the power, more excellent than the display, more excellent than the show that they put on every time the doors are open. Where do you think the Holy Ghost is going to lead you? Where is the Holy Ghost going to guide you into truth? Is he going to just emphasize the power? 
No. He's going to lead you in the law of love. At the end of chapter 13, Paul finishes talking about the, there abides three things, faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. King James translates it charity, but it's talking about love. It's the word love. Now notice chapter 14, verse 1. It says, follow after love. He said, desire spiritual gifts, but follow after love. I would submit to you that most of the church world has got that backwards. At least the charismatic part of the church world does. Why? Because they're following the gifts. They're following the power. They want to see the power at work. Show us a sign, Lord. But the the Holy Ghost puts it just the other way around. He said, desire the power. Yeah, the power is good to desire. That's a wonderful thing. It's available to us. God wants to display himself and show himself strong. But he said, follow after love. Now, folks, what's the difference in desire and follow? A desire is something that you want. Following is something you do. In other words, he's saying put the action, make the action of your life focused on love. Make your pursuit the love of God. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul writes a lot about the love of God. And Paul had a good deal of the power of God in operation in his life. He healed the sick. There were a number of cases where he had uh, people that were lame that were healed. There were blind eyes that opened. There were special miracles that were done here in Ephesus by the hands of Paul, according to Acts 19. So that from his body were taken from to the sick handkerchiefs and aprons. And when those things were laid on the sick, the evil spirits went out of them and, and the uh, sicknesses departed from them. Major works of God. He raised the dead. He had the power of God in operation. Yet Paul talks more about love than he does power. Talks a lot more about love than he does power. Notice what he said to the, to the Ephesians chapter 3. He's, his, one of his prayers. Uh, well, let's just read the whole thing. Verse 14. It says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Well, that's power, isn't it? Be strengthened with might by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit in your inner man. That's talking about power, isn't it? Well, yeah, sure it is. But notice what the power is for. That Christ may dwell in your heart by faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and that you would know the love of God. Now, this word know is the word experience. That you would know or experience the love of God, which passes knowledge. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. What causes you and me to be filled with the fullness of God? The power? No, the power is to walk in love. Because it's the love of God that causes you to be filled with the fullness of God. I've got you excited this morning, don't I? Folks, there's a natural resistance on our part to talking about love, to discussing the subject of love, because we're more interested in the power. We think, yeah, yeah, love of God, love. Yeah, we walk in love. Let's see the power. Yet the Holy Ghost puts it just in reverse. Let's see the love. I'm convinced that the more we walk in love, the more access to the power we have. So he's talking about being filled with the fullness of God 
by being filled in love, filled with love or walking in love. He goes on in chapter 4 and uh, talks about ministry gifts and some different things, purpose of ministry gifts. In verse 15, he says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So what's he saying? He's saying love's the key to growing up. See why the church is in such a babyhood stage? Because we've emphasized the power. We've tried to grow up with power. We've tried to grow up with signs and wonders. We've tried to grow up with spiritual gifts. It's not what causes you to grow up. What causes you to grow up is to speak the truth in love. Now notice you can speak the truth and not be in love. It's not only what you say, it's how you say it. Hello? Spiritual growth is the result of speaking the truth in love. Now, the word is the thing that provides you the knowledge of the truth. But the love of God shows you how to present it. Jesus said to his disciples over and over again, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them. In other words, he's saying, it wouldn't be the love of God for me to tell you everything I know. Man, I wish they'd been in better condition. We'd have a whole lot bigger book. We'd know a lot of things that Jesus could have shown them, but he couldn't because of their condition. Notice chapter 5. Verse 1 says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Well, that's what we want, isn't it? We want to be followers of God. How do we do that? Verse 2, and walk in love. He didn't say be followers of God as dear children by displaying his power. No, it's walking in love that does it. See the importance of love? And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, we're right here in chapter 5. Look with me over a little bit. We're talking about being spirit-led or spirit-filled Christians, living a spirit-led and a spirit-filled life. Notice what Paul identifies that to be. Start in verse 18. It says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this, this phrase, be filled with the Spirit, is, is, uh, uh, is poorly translated in the English because it's a continuous action. It literally means be being filled. Don't be drunk with alcohol, but be being filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. In other words, make the infilling of the Spirit a continuous action. Now, folks, I've got to ask you, aren't these people already Spirit-filled? Don't we have an example in Acts chapter 19 where Paul went to Ephesus the first time and got these people filled with the Spirit? And then he had the greatest revival that he had or greatest move of God of any city that he ever went to. He stayed there three and a half years. It says in the space of two of those three and a half years, all of Asia heard the word because of the signs and the wonders and miracles and everything else that was going on. Aren't these people already spirit-filled? Don't they speak with tongues? Haven't they been baptized with the Holy Ghost? Sure they have. The Bible tells us specifically that they were filled with the Spirit and spoke with other tongues. So what in the world is he saying? Is he telling them to get filled with the Holy Ghost again? No, he's saying there's a difference between being filled and staying full. Be being filled literally means stay full. Stay full. I know a lot of Christians that were filled with the Spirit, but it leaked out. It's been used up long ago. He's saying stay full. Stay full of the Holy Ghost. How do we do that? 
Well, he tells us. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You'll never have any more of God than you have the praises of God on your lips. You want to stay full of the Holy Ghost? Make your life a life of praise. Yeah, but I can't sing. I can relate to you. But you don't get a pass just because you can't sing. That just means you have to do it by yourself. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Second thing, verse 20. Giving thanks always to all things unto God. Giving thanks always for all things unto God. Giving thanks always. Well, accept your job. And that lousy boss you've got. Well, it says giving thanks always. Giving thanks always for all things unto God. And the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. First thing he said is, if you're going to stay full of the Holy Ghost, you're going to have to live a life of praise. The second thing he said is, if you're going to stay full of the Holy Ghost, you're going to have to live a life of thanksgiving. Those are two different things. And both are necessary. Both are necessary. You're going to have to live a life of praise. You're going to have to be a thanks, a thankful person. We ought to be thanking God all day long. And if we wouldn't thank God all day long, instead of focusing on the problems and what's wrong, our problems would get smaller and God would get bigger. Well, how does that work, Pastor Mike? You can't make God any bigger. You can make him bigger to you. It looks to me like, from hearing so many Christians pray, that their problems are as big as a mountain and God's about that big. It ought to be the other way around. God's bigger than any mountain and the problems are about that big. How do you do that? By living a life of praise and a life of thanksgiving. The more you praise God because of what the Bible says, the more you thank God for what he's done for you, the bigger and bigger and bigger he's magnified in your life. Third step to staying full of the Holy Ghost. Be nice if we could just stop after the two. Verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Okay, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Giving thanks always. Lord, is it okay if we just go for two out of three? No, he says one of the signs of staying full of the Holy Ghost is getting along with others. Submitting yourselves one to another. Submitting yourselves one to another. Yielding yourselves to each other, in other words. Not having to have our own way. I like what uh, Benjamin Franklin said, a quote that's attributed to him. I guess he said it. He said something in the, um, in the days of the founding of the country. And, and I, uh, I don't know when I heard it or where I heard it, but it stuck with me. He said this. He said, in principle, be unmovable, unyielding, but in everything else, be flexible. I think that works spiritually. I mean, there are some things, there are some truths of the Bible that, that I'm not going to move on. I don't care what the rest of the church says. doesn't matter to me. If the, if the church doesn't believe in the virgin birth, the Bible says it, so I'm not going to move on that. But most things that aren't principle-related issues, who cares whether it's your way or my way? Who says my way is right anyway? There's a lot of ways to get somewhere. It doesn't really matter which way we go as long as we end up the right place. 
submitting yourselves one to another. Now, when Paul talks about that, where does he start? He starts in the home. It's almost like he knew what we were like. It's almost like the Holy Ghost knows what it's like to live together. So what does he do? He starts talking about husbands and wives. Wives submit. Now, I'll tell you what. Now we're getting to the good stuff. She's such an easy target. A lot of times the church has done a disservice because the church will start talking about submission. Oh, yeah, wives submit, wives submit. Well, didn't we just read in verse 21, it said submitting yourselves one to another? So verse 21 says that we ought to be submitting ourselves, meaning verse 22 cannot be contradicting that saying that the wives are the only ones that need to submit. And by the way, the word submit just simply means to adapt. Literally, in the Greek, it means to come under arrangement. But in practice, it means be willing to come under somebody else's idea, somebody else's position, somebody else's opinion, or whatever the case might be, to adapt ourselves to each other instead of forcing ourselves down somebody else's throat. So it starts off with the wives. It says, wives, submit yourselves one to another. Or, I'm sorry, not to one to another. Yeah, that seems to be what's working too many, too many times. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. I, um, I, I really hesitate to say this, but it's the truth, so I'm responsible to say it. The word on, the word that's translated on, is in the Greek, the word I-D-I-O-S, idios. It's where we get the word idiosyncrasy. It's also where we get the word idiot. (laughs) A correct translation is, wives, submit yourselves to your idiot husbands. (laughs) Now, don't take my word for it. You check that out for yourself. Now, that doesn't necessarily bless me, <laughs> but it's the truth. Wives, submit yourselves to your idiot husbands as unto the Lord. Now, that's the key, as unto the Lord. It goes down, it says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Isn't it interesting when the Bible talk, starts talking about a spirit-filled life, he says, begin in the home. If you can't live a spirit-filled or spirit-led life in your home, you're not going to live one out anywhere else. You may put on a show, but nobody's going to fall for it. Well, that may not even be true. Maybe some people will fall for it, but it won't last. It won't hold up. So what is he saying? It starts talking first and foremost about husbands and wives. Why? Because husbands and wives have a tendency to either dominate one another or to try to change the other. And love's the only fix for that. Husbands have a tendency to say, do it my way or else. I'm out of here. Well, where does Jesus do that to you? Where does Jesus give you a list of demands? Where does Jesus say, do it my way or else I'm gone? Well, then why do husbands think they have that right? Just because the Bible says the wives are to submit to them. It's not the way it's supposed to work. In fact, the Bible says... These are things that are for your benefit. These are things for your good. Every instruction the Bible gives us is for our benefit, to help us, to bring us victory in life, not or else. And the Bible never says that God will leave you. In fact, it says over and over again, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So a husband taking that position can't be walking in the love of God then, can he? What about wives? Well, so often wives 
deny themselves to their husbands, trying to change him or make him change so that he gets what he wants. Where does the Bible say that God does that toward us either? That's not the way it's supposed to be. And in both cases, if that's what's taking place in the home, in both cases, the marriage that's supposed to be a paradise turns into a prison. Constructed by the hands of the one that claims to profess love. It's not the way it's supposed to be, folks. No, in fact, the Bible says love never fails. So two people, any two people walking in the love of God, their marriage won't fail. Brother Hagin used to say this, and it'd make people mad. And he's not, he, he didn't say it to try to bring condemnation on anybody, but it's the truth. And I, I regret and, and I hate a lot of people's situations and the, and the difficulty and the heartache that they've been through and, and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't change the truth. My experience doesn't change the truth. Your experience doesn't change the truth. The truth is the love of God's never been to divorce court. Now, there are a lot of situations where there was no other option. I get that. But two people walking in love don't get divorced. Why well, does this work for us? First John 4. First John chapter 4. Notice in verse 7 it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. In other words, you can't love, you can't operate in God's love unless you're born again. Why? Romans 5, 5 says, love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. When? When we're born again. Love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Notice verse 8, he that loves not knows not God for God is love. Well, if God is love and the Holy Ghost is the spirit of God, then that must mean he's the spirit of love. No wonder he's going to guide you into love. He's going to lead you into love. He's going to prompt you. He's going to give you an inward witness. He's going to talk to you about the love of God. There's a uh, uh, there's a story that uh, of something that happened in Jesus' ministry that um, uh, has always tickled me. I, I really get a real kick out of it. Well, why don't you look at it rather than me just tell you? You'll re- you'll uh, remember the story when we look at it. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 18 and uh, Luke chapter 17, I believe it is. Both Matthew and Luke give us an account, but they give us a little bit different uh, detail. Matthew is an eyewitness to the event. Luke is getting it second or third hand when he writes it. So Matthew's information is instructive, to me at least. Matthew 17, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 18 and Luke 17. Let me start reading in verse 21 of Matthew 18. It said, Then came Peter to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but unto seven times seventy. Now look at Luke chapter 17. Beginning in verse 3, Jesus is speaking. 
And it says, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. So unless these are two different events, which we don't have any reason to think they are, the, the, if you put together the surrounding events and so forth, it seems to be the same thing. Matthew's saying that Jesus is answering a question that Peter asked. Luke just says this is part of Jesus' discourse. Well, either way, it's, it's not a contradiction. Either way is fine because the, the, what Jesus said is the important, the, the important point, right? But if you put the two stories together, if they are two stories and, and just two different accounts of the same story, then he's talking about seven times in a day, somebody for, uh, asking forgiveness. No, I'm sorry. Let me say that again. He's saying you don't forgive somebody seven times a day. You forgive them 490 times a day, seven times 70 in a day. Well, folks, stop and think about that for a minute. We would have to understand that that's probably not going to be a literal number. I mean, if somebody does the same thing to you 490 times a day, you might have a relationship problem. You think? But what I like about this is Luke's account of how it ends up. Peter seems to ask a question Patting himself on the back, saying, "If you know, is, is forgiving somebody seven times a day is that is that good? I, I can do that, Jesus." And then Jesus turns around and says, "No, seven times seventy times a day, four hundred and ninety." Well, in Luke's account, notice how the uh, the disciples respond. They respond in verse five. They said, "And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Seven times seventy. 490 times, Jesus, you're going to have to give us more faith. And Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might, literally, that's the word would, you would say unto the sycamine tree, be plucked up of the root and be thou planted in the sea and shall obey you. In other words, he said, if you have faith, you'll speak. Very simply, if you have faith, you'll speak. That's interesting because there are four times in the Gospels where Jesus uses the example of faith moving a mountain or uprooting a tree. Four different times. Three of those times he's talking about you using your faith on you. One of those times in Mark chapter 11, which we talk about extensively, and we probably know more than any of the others, the Mark 11 account is the only one where he talks about using your faith on circumstances. Yet I would submit to you that most Christians are trying to operate and use their faith on circumstances a whole lot more than they're using their faith on themselves. They're trying to change things more than they're trying to change themselves. And if the pattern that the Bible gives us is a legitimate example, we should spend three times more, put three times more effort into changing us to line up with what the Bible says that we should be and that the love of God does and acts in our lives than we should trying to change our circumstances. Where do you put 75% of your faith effort? Is it in walking in love? It's supposed to be. But one of the things is that, that I love about this story is that the disciples recognize. Now, I think they're shocked. I don't know if they know what they're saying or not. I think they're shocked. When Jesus says 7 times 70, they say, Jesus, give us more faith. How are we going to do this? But what is 
beneficial for us to realize is that you forgive by faith, not by feelings. They were right. It takes faith to forgive. And if you go to the Mark 11 account where Jesus is talking about using your faith to change circumstances, he speaks in chapter, in chapter 11, verse 23, about faith working by what you say. Verse 24, faith working in prayer. Verse 25, he gives you the number one hindrance to your faith working. And what is that? Unforgiveness. Mark eleven twenty-five. but when you stand praying, forgive. After he just talked about the prayer of faith, he said, but when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anybody. Why? Because unforgiveness will hinder your faith from working. And here Jesus is talking about using your faith on forgiveness. You know, one of the things that, uh, one of the, well, it's happened a number of times, but some of the greatest leadings of God, some of the things that I've been most convinced that God was talking to me about as much as or more than any other thing. Now, there have been times where I look back and I see, man, God was really leading me there and I didn't know. You know, the, the, the impression, the inward witness that uh, Beth and I had to come out here and start a church. You would have thought, or I would have thought, that if, if God was doing something so significant to steer my life in a specific direction, to put me in the place where I'm going to spend the rest of my life, I would have thought that I've gotten a stronger leading than just an inward witness. I mean, it, would, it just seems to me, maybe this is natural thinking, and if it is, forgive me, but I'm pretty sure you can relate to this. The important stuff, God will give you more so that you don't miss that. Wouldn't you think? But that's not the way it works. It's the inward witness. And I had an inward witness. And, and, and it's so funny because I have people that, uh, that have asked me about this every year or so. I have Bible school, Bible school students from either Tulsa or here in the local area. One of their assignments is to, to interview a pastor. And I always get a bunch of calls and stuff like that. And they want to interview me about how you start a church. Folks, I don't know how you start a church. I know what we did, but I don't know how you start a church. What we did was totally contrary to what I see everybody else saying you're supposed to do when you start a church. I just did what seemed like the right thing for us to do. And looking back at some of those things, they worked marvelously. And I'm thinking, how did I know to do that? I've had people ask me, Mike, how, how did you pick up and move across country knowing that there was nobody there for you? I don't know. just seemed like the thing to do. Man, you look back at it, and it was like it was an adventure. But at the time, it was just kind of like, well, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. I don't know. Well, I can look back at some of those things and see how God really led me. I can see that that was the leading of the Holy Ghost when I wasn't so confident at the time that it was absolutely the word of the Lord. But some of the things that I've had the strongest leadings about, some of the things that I've, I've known you know, you know, you know stuff have been when God's talked to me about forgiveness. Now, I wish you'd just give me the inward witness on that. But that's the stuff that's always been strongest. Uh, there was a situation where uh, uh, my father died in uh, 1980, in about May of 1980, I guess it was. And uh, I was planning to go to, to Bible school later that year and there was you know as with when loved ones die there's issues with distribution of funds and stuff like that well we found that uh, that my dad because of an experience that he had with uh with his his dad stuff i guess 
and how everybody fought and clawed and everything. My dad had, had always said, that's not the way it's going to be with, with me. I'm not going to have it where people are fighting and stuff. Well, long story short is he wound up putting it in the hands of the woman that he had remarried and stayed married to for a year or maybe before he died. Well, she took everything she, that he had. The understanding was, I guess, that she would distribute it and it wouldn't have to go through probate and all this other kind of stuff and be, be, be easier and simpler. Well, she took everything for herself. Well, that was money for me to go to school on. Hey, I'm going to go serve God. And that blankety-blank so-and-so, she's stolen God's money. Well, you know, you do everything you can. You talk to a lawyer. We talked to some other people and tried to find out what was happen- what you could do about it. And basically, there was nothing you could do. Just nothing could be done. The way he set it up, I mean, he just, that was it. And uh, so uh, my brother and I went and talked to her because we knew it wasn't right. And we assumed that she would know it wasn't right. And we're believing God. We, we just agreed together. Okay, let's go talk to her. And when we talk to her, let's just agree that the favor of God will be on us and she'll see what's right and she'll do what's right. Well, the only thing she did is when we got there, he, she told us that he never wanted us to have anything. What a blessing. It's not bad enough that she takes the money. Now she's got to tell us that her dad never really loved us kind of stuff. Okay. We're glad we came. So what do you do? Man, I was mad. I mean, I was mad. If I wasn't saved, I'd have killed that woman. <laughs> Thought about hiring somebody unsaved to do it for me. <laughs> so I'm driving down the road, middle of Birmingham, Alabama, just complaining, griping. Lord, this isn't fair. Griping and complaining. Finally, I got quiet, kind of ranted myself out. Finally got quiet, and then I just said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. And as strong as I've ever heard the Lord say anything, he said, pray for her. Well, you know what I'm thinking. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. This can't be God. No, I'm expecting the word of the Lord to say, don't worry, tomorrow noon lightning bolt and i answered it out loud i said pray for i knew it was god i said pray for and i've always been kind of a smart aleck with everybody god included i get away with it because he knows that's the real me but i said pray for okay i'll pray for i'll pray she gets hit by a bus (laughs) god didn't say a word so I went through another five or ten minutes of being real mad and being real upset about it and then quieting back down again and said, Lord, what am I supposed to pray for? How am I supposed to pray for this woman? And then he said something I really didn't like. He said, pray that I would bless her. She's already got my money. Now I'm supposed to pray that you'll bless her? I don't want you to bless her. I want you to take, her, take the money that she's stolen from us and give it to us. That's what I want. So I went through this thing. I, the Lord to speak. Five minutes of my ranting. Get quiet and the Lord to speak again. So I went through another five minutes or so of ranting and raving, just being upset. And I said, then finally I got quiet. And I said, Lord, you really want me to pray that you'll, you'll bless her. 
No answer. Nothing, no need for an answer. I already know. So I said, all right, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. Gritted my teeth. Lord bless her. In Jesus' name. That was my prayer. That was it. Don't tell me you can't forgive. You can't. And that was a forgiveness in obedience to what the Bible was telling me to do and what God was speaking in my heart to do. No feelings attached. Well, that's not true. I had a lot of feelings attached, just not the right ones. I didn't feel any sense of forgiveness. But I did what the Bible said. I wasn't happy about it. I didn't feel like it was a good thing. But I did what the Bible said. And folks, obedience is doing what the Bible says no matter how you feel. So I did that. That was it. But that day, that was it. Next morning I got up just as mad about the situation as I had been before. And I remember what the Lord told me yesterday. Pray that I'll bless her. So I did it again. I went through about, I don't know, 10 days of gritting my teeth. Saying, Lord, bless her in Jesus' name. Just because that's what he said do. Did I think it was going to do any good? Not a bit. Was I looking for something out of it for myself? Not a thing. You know what started happening? God started blessing the woman. That made me even matter. Because <laughs> somehow I had the idea that if I did what the Bible said, if I obeyed what the Bible said to do, even though I didn't feel like doing it, God would reward me. Well, he's not rewarding me. He starts rewarding her. He starts answering my prayer and blessing her. Man, I can't figure this out. This is not right, Lord. I, I understand a lot of David's psalms. Lord, the heathen keep getting better and better and better. They keep getting more and more and more. And here I am doing right and you're not doing anything. You know what I found out? David was a whiner. <laughs> he may have been a man after God's own heart, but he was a whiner. I understand where he's coming from. I understand how he feels. This went on for, I don't know, a couple of weeks maybe. And I'm, I'm gritting my teeth. Lord bless her. It became something that the Lord would remind me of several times a day. So now I'm doing it three or four times a day. I know that I've got to do it. I know it's something God told me to do. I know I'm supposed to do it. And all of a sudden, after, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks. I'm not sure exactly how long it was. Maybe a couple of weeks. Maybe longer than that. I don't know. Anyway, I gritted my teeth and I said, Lord, bless her. And all of a sudden, I had a vision. And it, it wasn't this big, long, drawn-out thing. It wasn't something super spiritual. But just for that long, I saw her the way that God sees her. I saw how miserable she was. I saw what a, what a, a, um, a curse the money she stole from my brother and I was going to be in her life. Because she's always going to wonder, are we ever going to come after it? How are you going to escape that? She was living, looking over her shoulder. I saw every bit of that as fast as you can snap your finger. And my heart broke for the woman because I saw how miserable she was. I saw her the way that God saw her. And from that point forward, I never had another problem praying for her. From that point forward, I never had another problem with the money. Folks, forgiving doesn't release the other person. It releases you. I didn't know that. Now, I'm convinced I can't prove it, but I'm convinced if I hadn't gritted my teeth for those few weeks and done what the Holy Ghost told me to do, if I hadn't followed the direction, the leading of the Spirit of God to pray for her, I wouldn't have ever had that momentary vision. I wouldn't have ever seen her in that moment. 
And if I had never seen her of that moment, I probably never would have gotten free from the money. I'm convinced of that. I had the same thing happen when we were going through all the trouble with the building. I had everybody doing wrong. Everybody. Contractors coming out my ears trying to cheat us and steal from us. And it's not even me. It's the church. And I'm praying, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? I'm, we wind up going to, to court over this thing. We're sitting there across the table from the, from the um, contractor and his attorney. Attorneys. They had a bunch of them. Boy, they had a bunch of them. And they're all lining up on the other side of the room there. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, Lord, what in the world do I do? They're lying through their teeth, saying things absolutely untrue. They're contradicting letters and documents and, and, and saying that, that stuff was happening behind that that just wasn't, that wasn't the case. I mean, I was being swamped with lies. It was like there was a, it was like my head was inside of a beehive. It was like everything was coming against my mind. Never been in a situation like that that was so devil focused and devil conscious. And I found out that the legal system is the legal system, not the justice system. And so I'm sitting there saying, Lord, what in the world do I do? Just as clear as a bell, same Holy Ghost, pray for them. Oh, dear God. (laughs) I don't want to pray for them. I want them to die a horrible death (laughs) in front of my eyes. Slowly. So for the several months that we're in court, this thing's going on. I'm sitting there every day, pasting a smile on my face, praying for him. Praying from under my breath, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying for him. Lord, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. God, forgive them. They have no idea. God, bless them. Day after day after day after day after day. We know the end result. They won. Hallelujah. This walking in love stuff is just great. (laughs) But folks, we're the only ones that made it. All those people are dead or out of business or their families are torn up or their, their health is gone. There's not one person left standing out of that whole thing except us. Not one. Now, don't you get me wrong. I'm not saying my prayers cause these terrible things to happen to them. I'm not saying that at all. My prayers freed me my prayers to forgive those people freed me they're going to have to answer to god for whatever they've done they're still on their own with god but they don't drag me down with them that's what forgiveness is all about folks the bible says faith works by love that's why the number one hindrance to your faith working is unforgiveness because you can't walk in love and walk in unforgiveness they don't go together they just don't they never will. And it's an amazing thing to me how many people, how many Christians will let things ha- hold on to them that happened years and years and years ago in their lives. They become victims, long-term victims of one-time events when they could be free if they just forgive. Yeah, but I can't forgive, Pastor Mike. It just hurt me too much. Sure you can. You're just not being honest with yourself. You're saying you won't. Well, how can you say that we can forgive? Turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We just looked at some scriptures there about that Paul wrote by the Holy Ghost about walking in love. We looked at chapter 5 verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Verse 2 and walk in love. 
as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Paul didn't write in chapter and verse. What he's saying in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, are connected to what he ended up saying in, in what's recorded as chapter 4. So back up to chapter 4. And let's start reading in verse 29. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Folks, if you're talking about stuff that happened to you in the past, that's corrupt communication. The word corrupt literally means rotten. Don't let stuff from the past. Don't don't leave decaying events in your life to be spoken of. Don't talk about things in the past. Don't talk about where people hurt you. Don't talk about where people did you wrong. I can tell you the story about the, the, the woman stealing my dad's money and about the, the, the attorneys and the contractors and all that kind of stuff. And honest to goodness, when I tell you, it's just for the sake of, of, of using it as an illustration. It's like it happened to somebody else. I have to remember these things that happened because it's almost like it wasn't me. It's a story that I heard and I'm just relating a story. Why? Because praying and operating in forgiveness will detach you from it like it happened in somebody else's life instead of yours. And I don't care what it is. And I know people get upset about this because I know terrible things have happened. I know people have been molested as children in their past and stuff like this. And they think that that was just such a a, a horrible, horrible thing that they can't let it go. But you can. You can. What I haven't figured out is why so many people don't want to. Because their lives are miserable. They keep reliving this stuff again and again and again. And, and it just brings misery. Don't you want to be free? I can't understand why somebody wouldn't want to be free. The more horrible the event, the more I'd want to be free from it. So he says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Quit talking about the rotten things in your past. Now notice you control it. He says, let no corrupt communication. Your choice. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, only that which is good, in other words, to the use of edifying. In other words, only talk about stuff that builds people up. Only talk about stuff that will build yourself up. Don't talk about stuff that tore you down. Don't talk about stuff that happened to you that was a tragedy. Talk about good things. There's got to be some good things you can talk about. If not, talk about the good things the Bible said belongs to you. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, only that which is good, to the use of edifying that it may minister grace to the hearers. Well, folks, you're a hearer. You're a hearer of what you say. So you qualify. Only say the things that build you up and minister to you, that lift you up, that bring you closer to God, not further away, not reminding you of what the devil did to you or against you or used somebody to do. He's talking about you hearing yourself too. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Whoa. You mean we talk about the rotten stuff that happened in our lives and keep talking about that stuff that can grieve the Holy Ghost? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because everything you talk about that somebody did to you in the past means you have refused to forgive. He's going to talk about that coming up. And unforgiveness grieves the Holy Ghost. Why? Because he's the spirit of love. And he's always going to lead you. He's always going to guide you to forgive. The more serious and the more, the more destructive the situation is, the more the prompting of the Holy Ghost is going to be there for you to, to forgive. 
But wait a minute, Pastor Mike, isn't that wrong? Shouldn't they be asking us to forgive them? Well, in the perfect world, yeah. But you'd still have to, even if they asked you. It's still going to be your choice. But we're not talking about them being free from what happened. We're talking about you getting free from what happened. The only thing that frees you from what happened is you praying for forgiveness for them. Or you forgiving them. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Quit living that stuff. And instead, verse 32, and be ye kind one to another. Isn't it interesting that you have to tell Christians to be kind to each other? We've got the love of God shed abroad in our heart, yet the Holy Ghost has to say, now be kind to each other. Isn't that sad? Now, folks, this is a church that had a, had a revival like no other in history. This is the church at Ephesus where all of Asia was reached in a space of two years by the ministry of Paul. They've had signs and wonders and miracles. They've had special miracles by the hands of Paul. This is where the seven sons of Siva event happened, where the, the devil jumped on those four guys, those uh, seven guys when they said, come out in the name of Jesus. The evil spirits in this uh, demon-possessed guy said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? After that, it says fear fell on everybody. Everybody brought their occult practices and all these talismans and all this other kind of stuff that they had and burned it. And it says the word of God grew and prevailed mightily. Ephesus has had a revival and a move of God like nobody else in history, at least up to that point, maybe since. And Paul has to write back and say, now you guys be kind to each other. Get along. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as, now notice this phrase, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Let me ask you a question. Since the, everything about forgiveness is based on the way God forgave us, did God forgive you when you asked him to or when he sent Jesus? When he sent Jesus. He forgave you before you asked forgiveness. He forgave you. The Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. You qualified. And so did I. He forgave you when you didn't deserve it. And that's the way the Bible says we're supposed to forgive. That's what the Bible identifies walking in love in chapter 5, verse 2 to be. Forgiving one another even as God forgave you in Christ. You didn't deserve it. You didn't even ask for it. The Bible says when Jesus died for us, we were enemies of God. It doesn't say we didn't think about him. It says we were his enemies. And he forgave you. Folks, I got news for you. Operating in spiritual gifts is easy. Prophesying, that's simple. Speaking in tongues, interpreting, piece of cake. Healing the sick. No problem. Walking in love, that's tough. The hard stuff is walking in forgiveness toward people that in your estimation may not deserve it and haven't asked for it. And that's what the Bible requires of us. And that's the way, the reason that the Bible says the love of God is already shed abroad in our heart. In other words, you have the capacity to do it. The only question is, will you? 
The same love of God that caused God to forgive you in Christ before you deserved it while you were his enemy and before you asked for it is the same love that is inside you if you're born of God. You can do it if you will. This I can't is never going to fly. You can. The question is, will you? Folks, love never fails. It doesn't mean it always looks like it's winning, but it never fails. Those two examples I gave you, both with the, 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 my dad's second wife and the thing with the church, it looked like I was losing all the way around. But looking back, I'm the, I'm the one standing, not them. Love never fails. God doesn't settle up at the end of every week, but he does reward you. He does bring you into victory. Be you followers of God as Jewish children. How many of you want to follow God? He tells you how. Walk in love. Walk in love. He doesn't say be followers by doing the power works. He doesn't say be a follower of God by doing the miracles. He said be a follower of God by walking in love. Jesus said that everybody would know you're a disciple by your love walk, not by your power. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the love of God that is shed abroad in our heart. We thank you, Father, that we have the capacity to walk in love in every situation and therefore to walk in victory. Thank you, Father, that your love in us never fails. Therefore, we can forgive. No matter what has been done to us, no matter how terrible or how horrible it might have been, no matter how, no matter how intentional it may have been on the part of others to hurt us. We can walk in forgiveness and we can walk in love. We choose to forgive, Father, even if we have to grit our teeth to begin with and say, Father, forgive them and bless them in Jesus' name. Because as we obey the word, it comes to pass in our lives. Thank you, Father, for the love of Jesus that was given toward us. Amen. Amen.